And now, Thriller Thursdays on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndike by R. Austin Freeman. Thorndike is the original fictional forensic detective from the early 1900s, using science to aid the art of detection to bring criminals to justice. This time presenting The Mandarin Pearl, adapted for radio by Heather Elliott. Always nice to catch up with old friends after a while, Thorndike. Oh, you're quite welcome, Broadrib. But to be honest, I came to have some advice on a neighbor, the son of an old friend of mine, Fred Calverly. He's been acting very strangely the past few weeks, and the family thinks he's going crazy. Hmm, what are the symptoms Fred is showing? Oh, he thinks he's being followed about and watched, and he has many delusions. He sees himself in the mirror with the wrong face and that sort of thing. Fred will be here presently. We traveled down together and took the liberty of asking him to call. Are there any facts you can tell us now, Broadrib? Well, about a year ago, he was in a railway accident and went on a voyage to recuperate. It didn't help, so he went down to the Mediterranean, and then after a month or two, returned home. I expect that's Fred now. I'll let him in. Oh, thank you, Jervis. Welcome, Fred. It's good to see you. Please, come have a seat by the fire. I'm Dr. John Thorndike, and this is my assistant, Dr. Jervis. Mr. Cavalier, pleased to meet you. I've just been telling Dr. Thorndike about these nervous troubles of yours. So, yes, suppose you tell us uh, about your experiences. Very well. It is a curious story. I have told Dr. Thorndike and Dr. Jervis about your voyage and trip down the Mediterranean. All right, then. It began when I was in a curio shop in Marseille several months ago. I have some uh, beautiful pottery monsieur might be interested in. Perhaps a necklace for a mademoiselle? This pendant is remarkable. The pearl is quite large, as you can see, and it looks lovely against the ebony. Most intriguing. Oh, oui? You like it, monsieur? Five pounds for the pearl pendant. Five pounds? Oh, but it's genuine, monsieur, from China. And of the finest quality. Does look real to me. Five pounds it is. Ah, it's good to see you fellows again. Say, take a look at this little trinket I picked up in a curio shop the other day. That? You actually bought that? Look at this, fellas. <laughs> oh, Fred. What, what, what's the matter? I, I happen to like it. Paid five pounds for it. Oh, five pounds. <laughs> what, what's the joke about? A sailor was hawking that very pendant all around the harbor last week. It, it looked nice enough. So guess what I did? <laughs> what? I took it straight down to a jeweler's and had someone look at it. This little pendant is genuine, gentlemen, and worth as much as a thousand pounds. What? A thousand pounds? Are you sure? Naturally, the story got spread around and became the talk of the place. Someone traced the sailor back to a tea ship from China. The general opinion was that he had stolen it from a passenger. Please bear in mind that I am only repeating what has happened to me, and I do have the highest regard for the Chinese people and their customs. Oh, quite right, quite right. Well, shortly after that, Fred returned here to England. 
took up his cousin Alfred's offer to live with him until his nerves settled down. Alfred had a friend staying with him, a certain Captain Regerton. They seemed to be on very close terms. I did not take to Regerton at all. He was a bad egg and had a reputation for being a rather uncomfortably lucky player at whatever he played. Surely you have purchased something of interest while you were abroad, cousin. I did find a lovely little pendant. It's a piece of ebony with a large pearl mounted on it. Ah, yes, I've heard about that. You have, Alfred? Heard the story from a sailor I know. Told me quite a few things about its history and that a man named Calverly had purchased it in Marseille. Really? I haven't heard anything, Raggerton. What's the matter, Fred? You look concerned. Oh, it's nothing. I just thought of a silly incident on the way home. You remember, I took one of the Chinese cargo ships from France back to England. Of, of course, I was waiting for you at the shipyard. I awoke suddenly from a nap and saw a well-dressed Chinese gentleman in his native attire, looking in at me. He closed the door immediately. I leapt from my bunk, opened the door, and looked out. But the man had vanished as if by magic. A deuced odd thing, isn't it? Of course, it may be only a coincidence, but it really does look as if... Shut up, Raggerton! We don't want any of that rot. What is he talking about? Oh, it's, it's only a rotten, silly yarn that picked up somewhere. You're not to tell him, Raggerton. Ah, there you are, Raggerton. Calverly, you just missed all the action. So I've heard. Let's say I give you a small loan to make up for it in exchange for a simple favor from you. I'm listening. I want to know what you were starting to say yesterday when Alfred stopped you. And, uh, how much would this loan be for? Fifty pounds. Seventy. And not a word to Alfred about this. Deal. Now, you understand, Fred, that this yarn about your pearl is nothing but a damned silly fable. Understood. All right. As you'll see, it all started in Canton Harbor in China about six months ago. What's taking so long? We're ready to sail and I'm tired of sitting here at birth. There's just a few more official formalities, or so I hear, Nilsson. See there, gentlemen, the Mandarin. He is one who owned cargo on the ship. He come today again to see if cargo's still here. Yeah, I remember him. Yes, Mr. Pratt. Very rich man. Some say he carry things with him. Things worth more than entire ship's cargo. Uh, it's that right, Wooly. Yes, that's what they say. You seem like man of character. Perhaps make deal with old Wooly and he help you get rich from the Mandarin? Uh, what's your idea, old man? To get Mandarin alone. To kill him and make us rich. We need empty place with no people. Uh, what kind of place? What's the plan? We tricked Mandarin that his cargo was stolen and put on another ship. Need empty ship. How about the Danish one? She's empty, except for an old shipkeeper. Good, good. Then we make him drunk. I got some whiskey. Uh, Foucault gets the old man drunk and locks him up somewhere, and Wally scares the Mandarin so he comes aboard. What's me and Nilsson gonna do? You lead Mandarin down into hold to show him stolen things. 
Leave him there and hurry up. Nelson good at rope and knots, so we make a noose. We throw rope around Mandarin's neck and hang him. We did it, boys. The Mandarin's dead. Very good. Let's search his pockets. Oh, I found something. What is it, Foucault? It looks like a pendant or something. Let me see it. Yeah, it's just an ebony pendant with a big pearl stuck to the front. Ah, Wally. All this work and it's just a damn pendant. Don't be unfriendly. Paul is worth danger of tonight. I wish this blasted ship would reach port soon. It's been six weeks and I'm tired of all this nonsense. Oh, oh, it can't be. Good Lord, what is that? It's the, the dead Mandarin. His ghost, he beckons to us. He, he, he's gone below. Uh, what do you suppose he wanted? Nielsen, get up on deck. You, sailor, are there any native Chinese passengers on this here tea ship? No, and no crew neither, except for Oli. I told you, it was the dead Mandarin. Shut up, parrot! At daybreak the next morning, Wo Li was found hanging from a hook in the kitchen ceiling. My goodness! Was it the ghost that killed him? Oh, Jervis, please, remember your medical training. There's a much better explanation than a ghost. Rumors of the tragedy quickly spread through the ship. Foucault, Perrot, and Nilsson hurried down to the dead man's chest and took out the pearl. Ah, I suppose no one wanted it quite as much as at first, eh? Quite right, Doctor. After much loud and foul language, Nilsson was given the jewel to safekeep. A fortnight passed, and nothing happened. Finally, the weather be good enough to set sail. I'll be glad to get underway. Ah! Pirate, go below and take the cursed pearl out of my chest. Uh, what for? Look up here. Good lord, it's the Mandarin ghost. He, he's beckoning. Take the key, damn you. Get that thing away from me. The next morning, it was discovered that Nilsson went missing. That evening, his body was discovered hanging from the rigging. I would have thrown the accursed pearl overboard, right then and there. Perhaps. But these men were filled with greed. After retrieving the pendant from Nilsson's chest, they tossed a coin, and the pearl went to Foucault's trunk. Three weeks passed. They were 24 hours from the harbor of Marseille. Hand me that end of the rope, will you? Foucault. What? What's the matter? You've gone pale. He's here, Perrat. He's come for me. The dead Mandarin? He beckoned to me, Perrat. He beckoned. Just like the other times. I'm gonna die. No, you ain't, Foucault. I'll stick close by you, mate, and make sure nothing happens. The next day, within sight of the harbor, Foucault hanged himself. With Perrot now the sole owner, I gather he decided to rid himself of the pendant before it killed him. Even if he sold it at a low price, he vowed to get the jewel off his hands before nightfall. It was easier said than done. But why not just give the pearl away instead of trying to sell it? Uh, that would be even more suspicious than trying to peddle it on the streets. As darkness fell, Pratt came upon the shop of a curio dealer. Putting on a careless and cheerful manner, he entered the store. Uh, evening. 
Ah, you come to buy a pretty gift for a pretty friend? Uh, afraid not. I've got a nice little piece to sell. Show it to me? Hmm. No, I do not want it. Uh, what? Well, why not? Don't you think another Navy man might take it home to his uh, girl? Mm, you know how to strike a bargain. Hello. For Frank. <sighs> that will do nicely. This was the story told by Captain Raggerton's friend. No doubt you will consider me a superstitious idiot for giving any credence to it. <laughs> yes, well, it does seem more fantastic than credible. May I ask whether Captain Raggerton's friend gave any explanation as to how this story came to his knowledge? Oh, yes. Shortly after he sold the pearl, the seaman Parrot was badly injured in a fall. He died in a hospital the next day after giving this confession. I see. And I understand that you accept this story as literally true? Undoubtedly. But, my dear Fred, this is a rank fairy tale. If you had seen what I have seen, you would believe. Tell us, then, what you have seen. First night, I came to stay at my cousin's house. A rather absurd thing happened. Out of my nervous state, it had become a habit to examine my room before I fell asleep. I looked under the bed and in all the cupboards and closets. Did you find anything out of the ordinary? There was a second door. As soon as I opened it, I got a terrible start. I found myself looking into a narrow closet lined with pegs for clothing. At the farther end was another door, and there I saw a man holding the door half-opened, silently looking at me. Alfred, where does that passage lead to out of my room? Passage? It doesn't lead anywhere. It used to open into a cross corridor. But when the house was altered, the corridor was done away with and the passage closed up. It's only a closet now. Well, there's a man in it. Nonsense. That's impossible. Rackerton, let's go up with Fred and look at the place. Right in there. All right, let's see. <laughs> it's just a mirror at the other end. I, I guess it is. It must have been my own reflection that startled me so badly. Scared by yourself. That's a joke we must remember, old boy. I should like to take it down if you allow me to, Alfred. What? And admit that your own shadow frightens you? No, no. I'm not scared of it. It can stay. I wish I had not let my pride get the better of me. It still startles me badly every time I open the door. Well, tell Dr. Thorndike the rest, Fred, what you told me. Yes, Fred, please continue. I find this all quite interesting. I had returned rather late, and... He'd gone away for a fortnight, Thorndike, and the train got back late on his return. Thank you, Broadrib. Uh, Fred, continue, please. I had gotten back late and gone straight up to my room. The mirror still made me uneasy. But I went in and hung my clothes up. Suddenly, I noticed that my reflection had changed. An elderly Chinese man stood there, holding a paper lantern. The Mandarin's ghost! I turned to leave, and I saw him turn as well. As I reached the door, I halted for a moment and looked back with my candle held high over my head. He mimicked me exactly and held his lantern high. I wouldn't have slept at all that night after seeing such a sight. 
and I jolly well didn't. Next morning, I wrote a letter to the British consul at Canton and offered to restore the pearl to the relatives of the murdered Mandarin. Did you speak of this to your cousin or perhaps to Captain Raggerton? Yes, I did. I told them about the ghost, and Alfred merely laughed. The captain bluntly advised me to not be a superstitious donkey. And did this letter you sent do any good? It eased my mind for a while, but five days later, the ghost came back. This time, the mirror suddenly clouded over for an instant. As it cleared again, I saw the figure of the Mandarin standing dark against the light of the open door behind him. I ran out of the closet, but as I turned to shut the door, I noticed that it was my own reflection in the glass. The Mandarin had vanished. Well, I guess your letter didn't work. The only encouraging thing was that the Mandarin had not beckoned to me. Still, I could not be too careful. Over the next few days, I considered carefully what to do with the accursed pearl. Couldn't you pass it along to someone else? No. No. That wouldn't do. It would be nothing short of murder. But you felt also that you could not just sit around waiting for a response to your letter. Precisely. The Mandarin appeared to me twice more, the most recent time being last night. I resisted the urge to flee. He stood there, lantern in hand. At last, he held out his hand to me, as if he was asking me to give him the pearl. Then the mirror darkened, and he vanished in a flash. And there you have it. Oh, but that is not all. I brought the pearl with me. What? Well, I, I threw it off the Waterloo Bridge and into the Thames. I've had misgivings all day that I've done the wrong thing, but it can't be altered now. Good gracious, Red. Look at the time. We'll miss the train. Bradrip, get him away from that house and don't let him out of your sight for a moment. And found me, I should not have let them go. I should have made them miss their train. Come in. Thorndyke, what's wrong? I'm going to Weybridge this morning. This telegram came just a few moments ago. Oh, come, for heaven's sake. F.C. is dead, you will understand. It's from Broadrib. What an awful thing. You will come with me, Jervis? Yes, of course. I've had Poulton put together a few of my tools and my ring of skeleton keys. He's taking a message right now down to Scotland Yard for the assistant commissioner. Have you replied to Mr. Broadrib's telegram? Well, Poulton's taking care of that as well. I want to be off as soon as possible. Thorndyke, Dr. Jervis, it was very good of both of you to come at a moment's notice, and I feel your kindness very much. You understood my message? Yes, indeed. I suppose the Mandarin beckoned to him? The poor fellow left this note for me. He has beckoned to me, and I must go. Goodbye, dear old friend. How has his cousin taken to this news? He doesn't know. Alfred and Raggerton went out after an early breakfast, and they haven't returned yet. And when was the poor fellow found? This morning, just after Alfred left. The maid was worried for Fred, and she got the butler to search his room. They found poor Fred hanging from one of the pegs in the closet. Good heavens. This is the room. Oh, dear! I wasn't expecting his body to be here still. Oh, you better not look, Broderick. Well, well, I'll examine him. But you'll tell me what you found. Y yes, yes, of course. Uh, the rope is severely frayed from the servants cutting him down. And I would say it happened about uh, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, he must have struggled with the impulse for some time. Uh, poor fellow. Is that all? 
all for now. Come, Jervis, let's take a look at the closet. Oh, it really is quite startling to see our reflections like this. The poor lad ought never to have been here. I agree. I agree. There's the rope, still hanging off the peg. There's not much room for the three of us to examine the mirror, Mr. Broadrib. Why don't you stand back a bit, and I will tell you what I see. Well, that's a splendid idea. The mirror is quite large, nearly seven feet tall and about as wide as the closet itself. It is positioned about a foot off the floor. I think the mirror was put in from behind. How is that? All the woodwork is in the front. What is Thorndyke up to with his tapping? I really have no idea. I think he's checking to see if there are cracks in the wall. I'm all done for now, gentlemen. We shall all undoubtedly be subpoenaed by the coroner, so it would be good to take note of the facts. Yes, I believe it would. Why don't you jot down what you know to have happened while Jervis examines the body again and I look around a bit? Oh, all right. But we might find a bit more cheerful place to write in. Well, that about sums it up, Jervis. What do you think of... Alfred, you've heard about Fred? Yes, my lord, it's awful. Jervis. Captain Raggerton returned with you? When did you get no, here? He's never mind me. Town. Show him Broadrib's note and then make long. him go in and look at the this peg. Will be a Don't mention that I was just here. Him. Mr. Broadrib, have you shown Mr. Calverly the extraordinary letter that his cousin left for you? What letter is that? Here. He was beckoning to me and I must go? Who beckoned? What did he mean? The dead Mandarin beckoned to him, like in the story he was told. Mr. Calverly, can you identify the cord your cousin used to hang himself? How should I? Where is the cord? Hanging in the closet. Would you mind looking at it? If you would be very kindly fetch it. You know, I naturally have a... It must not be disturbed before the inquest. But surely you're not afraid. I didn't say I was afraid. Why should I be? What is it, Calverly? <laughs> what is it? Let me see. Ah! Bless my soul. Is this place bewitched? What's the matter? Stop that, Calverly. <laughs> Do you hear? Stop it at once. I can't help it, Rackerton. He gave me such a turn. The Mandarin, you know. What? You're a fool, Calverly. Broadrib, I should like to have a word with you and Jervis in the hallway. I have something to show you. Take a look in here. That's Captain Raggerton. Why would he be trying to open the closet so quietly? What's the meaning of this intrusion? And who the deuce are you? Do you know that this is my private room? I suspected that it was. Then everything in that closet is yours as well? Do I understand you've gone into my private closet? I have inspected it, and I might add that it is useless to try and open the door. I've jammed the lock. The devil you have! Uh, yes, yes. You see, I'm expecting a police officer with a search warrant, so I want to keep everything exactly the way I found it. Why, you... I ought to... to uh, uh, I must see to this at once. Uh, goodbye, Captain Raggerton. Farewell. While you were in the other room, I took the liberty of looking around a bit. Just give me a moment to unjam the lock to the closet. All right. We're in the closet. What's so amazing? Note. 
There is no mirror in here and it is quite a bit darker. And here is what I discovered. On the first peg, a long blue silk gown of the traditional Chinese fashion. Is that the Mandarin's cap beside it? Yes, it is, complete with a traditional pigtail in the back. And lastly, there is the exquisitely made papier-mâché mask, painted with the features of an elderly Chinese man. Good Lord, I'll be... Someone's pretending to be a ghost. The use of those silk shoes on the floor and the large paper lantern on the shelf makes the costume nearly complete. I still don't understand how Fred saw him in the mirror. Let me explain. Now, Jervis, you seem to have figured it out, mostly. Would you please help explain? Certainly. Next to me is the back of the mirror. Uh, and if you look closely, you can see that it is hung on massive, well-oiled hinges and is supported on this rubber-tired caster that evidently has ball bearings. Ball bearings. All right. Okay. You'll also see that there are three black cords running along the hall and passing through those pulleys above us. Now, when I pull this cord, notice what happened. Bless my soul. The wall moved in toward us. Look at that. The mirror makes it look like it's all one passageway. There's a piece of glass to keep anyone from walking through to the other side. It's all very puzzling. I don't understand it yet. I'll explain in a moment. Notice that this black curtain slides across the closet and cuts off the light when I pull the second cord. Now the mirror doesn't reflect anything into the other closet. And the third cord causes the mirror to return to its original position. Well, I'll be... Now, it was obvious to me when I heard about poor Fred's story that the mirror had to have been faked. How could the mirror be faked? I saw it there myself. Ah, uh, it's all in how the mirror is positioned, Broadrib. For example, let's say that Jervis is standing in the entrance to the closet from Fred's room. We'll call that position A. Jervis will see his own reflection because the mirror is positioned as it should be. Then position B would be at the entrance from this room. Exactly, Jervis. Broadrib will be at position B. Stand right here, my good friend, and observe. Now, when the mirror is moved like it just was, Jervis will not see his reflection at all. But, since Broadrib is standing in place of the mirror, Jervis will see Broadrib instead. Yes, the mirror was positioned such that Fred could not tell it had been moved, and someone stood in the place of Fred's reflection, wearing that costume with the dead Mandarin. Exactly. But who set this contraption up, and why? Is Alfred Calvary the next of kin? There's a younger brother, but Fred recently had me write up a will that was very much in Alfred's favor. <laughs> there you have it, then. These two scoundrels have conspired together to drive the poor fellow to suicide, and Raggerton was clearly the mastermind. He concocted the whole story of the murdered Mandarin after hearing Fred mention the Chinese gentleman in his native garb. Yes, I remember it was on the steamer on the way home from Marseille. Ah, uh, you'll remember that these visitations did not begin until after he had told Alfred and Raggerton that story, and Fred had been out of town for a few weeks. During this absence, Raggerton must have taken down the original mirror and put up this contraption. He probably got the costume and mask from a company that makes them for theatrical productions. By heaven, I'll be an idiot. That's the most infamous, cowardly plot I've ever heard of. They shall go to jail for that. The villains, as sure as I am alive. Hello. Oh, it's you again, dear. What's that? No. As soon as Raggerton and Alfred Calverley knew their plot was discovered, they were across the channel into France by nightfall. Yes. It is a shame, dear. No, no. Mr. Broadrib put aside that version of the will with permission from the court. Everything goes to Fred's brother. 
I'm afraid Thorndyke is taking it very hard. I doubt he will ever forgive himself for allowing Fred Calverley to go home to his death. Now, we'll be home tonight. Thorndyke wanted to stay for the funeral. You're right, dear. I want nothing else to do with the Mandarin's Pearl. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndyke, written by R. Austin Freeman. Adapted for radio by Heather Elliott. In the cast were Dave Johnson as Dr. John Thorndyke, Roy Nessel as Jervis, Carl Wauyukonis as Broadrib, Willie Gross as Fred Calverley, David Van Meer as Woe Lee, Reed Thompson as Captain Raggerton, Claudia Cimini as the French shopkeeper. Other parts played by Joseph McGuire, Stuart Glasser, and members of the cast. I'm your announcer, Jason Lynn. Edited by Jay Charles. Produced by Joseph C. McGuire. Recorded at KSVR Studios. This was a Radio Theater Project presentation.